3 John, back in the back of your Bibles, the epistle of 3 John. We've already looked at 1 John and 2 John, and so we want to study and look at 3 John this morning. 3 John, again, towards the back of your Bible. Third John, and then it goes Jude, then the book of Revelation, which we're studying on Wednesday nights, so come join us on Wednesday nights as we just began that study in the book of Revelation. We're still in chapter 1. We're going to finish it this week, Lord willing, Revelation chapter 1 and move into chapter 2, but this morning, Third John, it is another short letter of John, another short epistle, and once again, he's going to identify himself as the elder. And even though 3 John here has 14 verses, and we saw last week that 2 John had 13 verses, this third letter here in the Greek is the shortest of John's epistles that he wrote. Matter of fact, it's the shortest epistle that we have recorded in all of the New Testament. And last week when we looked at 2 John, we saw that first of all, John did not address anyone specifically, did he? He didn't address anyone by name, but rather he was writing to the elect lady and her children. And so it has been debated whether John was writing actually to a lady uh, that had children, to a Christian woman that he was writing to and her children. It could be that, but more probable he was writing to a, a church that was identified as the elect lady and her children being the members of that congregation. And why John did not identify that church specifically, we don't know for sure. As we discussed last week, it could be that as these epistles were written, what is believed between the time frame of 85 and 95 AD, if that is correct, it was a time of heavy persecution that came against the church by the hands of Rome. It was a government back persecution led by the emperor of Rome, Domitian, that was killing millions of Christians under his reign. And so it could be that John was using these code words. So if that letter was to fall into Roman hands or to get to the Roman authorities, they somehow he could protect that church and it wouldn't be specifically identified. But be that as it may, we learn much from that epistle as well as from from First uh, John as we went through that epistle. Here in 3 John, it's interesting that we're going to see that the apostle is going to address three specific individuals, and he's going to name them by name, Gaius and Diotrephus and Demetrius. And we're going to get some very important insights why John is writing to them and addressing those individuals, and we're going to have some very important lessons that we're going to learn for us this morning. Now, again, in 2 John, we read that the apostle touched on some very similar themes that was emphasized as well in the first epistle. First of all, John talked about truth. As we saw in 1 John and also in 2 John, that John wanted to make sure, this apostle, that the Christians were established in truth. There were many false deceivers that had come into the church. He calls them antichrist. They were bringing in their false doctrine, their false teacher teaching concerning Jesus Christ. So they were misrepresenting Jesus Christ, the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. They were misrepresenting 
representing uh, the gospel message. They were bringing another gospel. And so John begins to refute those false teachers. He wants to make sure that the Christians understand truth and that they have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And so that's one of the themes that, that John was emphasizing uh, in his epistle. And of course, we saw last week that, as again, he was warning this elect lady and her children, probably this specific church and its, its congregants, that, hey, make sure that you don't receive those who are deceptive, those who are coming against the doctrine of Christ, or that is the gospel message. And it was John that wrote, don't even receive them into your home. Don't show hospitality to them. Those who transgress the doctrine of Christ, they do not have the Father nor the Son. And so back in the early church, the situation was that there would be many ministers, pastors or evangelists or, or prophets that would travel around the Roman Empire and, and there would be those traveling preachers or ministers or missionaries as they were traveling from town to town bringing the good news of Jesus some of them were honest. They were true. They, they brought truth, and, and they would be ones that would do the work of the Lord, and they would be supported by the Christians as they would come, and, and they would receive hospitality by the Christians in the area that they would be in. But there were others that were false. They were not honest. They were deceptive, and they would take advantage of the generosity and kindness and hospitality of the Christians. And so John is giving them, in Second John, as we saw some guidelines. Hey, if they're teaching heresy, if they have that spirit of Antichrist, if they are teaching that is contrary to the doctrine of Christ, that is what uh, the person and ministry of Jesus Christ, the gospel message that we have brought to you and the other apostles, then don't be hospitable to them. You, you, they need to be sent on their way. And so the apostles actually in the first century came up with some guidelines for the Christians. They actually came up with a document that would give those guidelines so that they could identify between a true teacher and a, and a true prophet versus that which was a false teacher and a false prophet. And those guidelines were very specific, but kind of to generalize it, some of the things that was in the document uh, was that if they came bringing the gospel, the doctrine of Christ, which the apostles had given, and again, there's only one gospel. It would be Paul, when he was writing to the Galatian churches, he was saying, I marvel that you're so you know, easily receive another gospel, which isn't the gospel. And if anyone comes with another gospel than what we have given to you, even an angel, then that person, that angel is to be accursed. And so Paul repeats that. He says, we brought you the gospel. Any other gospel anybody else brings is not true. So if somebody's bringing another gospel, the doctrine of Christ that we've given to you, um, then they are not true. And so he would go on and he would say that if they're not displaying a godly lifestyle, if they bring, you know, the different teachings that's not given to you, if they come asking for money, if they want to, to have the Christians support them for a long length of time, then they're not true. You need to send them on their way. But if there is one that comes that does bring the gospel that we've given to you, they're displaying a godly lifestyle, they're, they stay for a day, they're not asking for money, if they do want to stay in the area, for example, and start a church, then they need to go to work. 
You can provide for them, support for them, you know, give them bread, but they're to go to work and help supporting themselves. And so those are little guidelines that was given to them. And so John and the other apostles were emphasizing to the early church that they were to have real discernment. And I think one of the weaknesses in the church today at large is there's a lack of discernment. And the reason that there can be a lack of discernment is because there's a lack of the knowledge of the Word of God. They needed to be discerning in the day that they were in at the time that John's writing this epistle because he said many, not a few, but many false teachers have gone out and were amongst the Christians coming into the church and deceiving many. And so we need to be discerning in the day in which we are living because we see the same thing. So we need to be discerning as Christians. And so that was the theme. The first theme was truth. He wanted to be established in truth concerning Jesus Christ, to have discernment, to warn them against the false teachers. Second thing that he emphasized, John, in these letters was obedience. And being a Christian means that you're going to walk in obedience to the Lord. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, he wrote in, in 1 John. And as Christians, we ought to walk in the light as he is in the light. It doesn't mean that we won't ever sin. And John made some wonderful statements of truth in that first epistle that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, when we do sin. So our sins are forgiven. But as a Christian... That as we believe in the Lord and we're abiding in Christ, you're going to have a desire to walk in obedience and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Walking in uh, the ways of the Lord should be your desire. So truth and walking in obedience and then love it would be the third thing that he would stress. As Christians having Christ abiding in us, we have the love of God that abides in us and that love is going to be manifested in loving others. And so all three of those things, as we have discussed, are linked together. So once again, what we're going to see is John in this third epistle is going to touch on those familiar themes of truth, of obedience, and of love. But in this epistle, he's going to touch on these subjects as they relate to these three individuals. That's what makes 3 John so interesting. Gaius and Diotrephus and Demetrius. So let's begin to read 3 John. We read the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So John writing to the beloved Gaius. Now who is Gaius? His name appears four times in the New Testament. Now, we probably can be safe in saying that each time that Gaius is mentioned, it may be referring to a different Gaius, a different individual. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, names Gaius as one that Paul had baptized there in, in Corinth. Acts chapter 20, verse 4, a different Gaius from Derby, a city of the province of Galatia is mentioned. Romans chapter 16, verse 23, again, Gaius from Corinth is mentioned. So it's probably the same Gaius as he mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. But here, as we see, that Gaius is mentioned once again. We don't know exactly if he's the same individual as the Gaius from Corinth or the Gaius from Derby. This Gaius here that John mentions is probably somebody different. We don't know what specific church that Paul is writing to here, or John is writing to here, but John would be writing many years after Paul had already been martyred for his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So this very well could be a different Gaius. The name Gaius was a very common name in the, in the Roman Empire at this time. 
It would be like uh, Jim or John today, those names that are very common. In this fellowship, if you said Jim, a half a dozen guys would stand up. And so it was a very common name. So this Gaius here is being addressed by John. He is beloved by John, as we see. And one of the things that this Gaius has in common with the other Gaiuses that are mentioned is that he is mentioned in a very positive light. And you can tell right away that John has a deep brotherly love for Gaius. And as we're going to read on, we're going to see that Paul's going to encourage and commend Gaius here in the following verses, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, the name it and claim it teachers and, and those who, who like to teach the prosperity uh, things and gospel and teachings, they love to camp on this verse here in verse 2. And they say, see, John's writing, he wants, you know, God wants all the Christians to prosper, have prosperity financially and physically. He wants everybody to be healthy and not sick. He wants everybody to be wealthy financially. And, and as we read that word, prosper, that's kind of the meaning that we get, to, to prosper, to be wealthy, whatever it might be. But any credible Bible teacher would never look at verse 2 in its context and the meaning of the word prosper here in the, in the original language and tell you that this verse means that God wants every Christian to be absolutely healthy and, and to be prosperous, to be wealthy financially. And then go on to say you just got to have enough faith or you got to plant your seed faith to me. And it's always to me, isn't it? When you hear, you know, the, the name it and claim it guys, the prosperity teachers, send your seed faith to me, to my ministry. And then you'll prosper, and then you'll, you'll be blessed. And they'll use verses like this to back up what it is that they're teaching. Now remember here that John is giving his greeting to Gaius. He says, you are beloved, and, and you are loved by me, Gaius, and I pray that you prosper. And that word in the Greek literally means to have a good journey. What John is doing is he's greeting him. He's saying that I pray that all is well with you in your journey with the Lord. It's like us as we came in this morning, as you were greeting one another here in the service, that you see somebody that perhaps you haven't seen for a while or, or whatever it might be. You, you turn to them and you say, I hope all is well with you. I hope that you're feeling well, that you're doing good in the Lord, that you're prospering in those things. So that's what John is doing here. That's the context of what's being said, and that's what the language is indicating to us. And certainly God can bless us with good health. He does, doesn't he? And, and, and if we have good health, we can thank the Lord for that because every good gift comes from above. He can bless us financially. And perhaps he has with some. But don't take verse 2 to mean that God wants every Christian to be physically and financially prosperous or they are, are, are healthy or they have no sickness or they are wealthy and they're financially you know, prosperous and all of this because not all Christians experience that. And Paul the Apostle, great man of faith, he had an infirmity. He had a thorn in the side. And God said to Paul as he asked for healing, Paul, my grace is sufficient. Not all Christians are going to be wealthy financially. 
But many of you, as you're content where God has you and you watch Him meet your needs, be thankful for where you are at and trusting in the Lord. And just because you're not a multimillionaire or because maybe perhaps you don't have perfect health doesn't mean that you're not a Christian or you don't have enough faith. Keep trusting in the Lord and in His promises given to you and watch Him continue to work in your life. So John here is greeting a brother, which is being told you're doing well in the Lord. And that blessed John tremendously to where he gives this greeting. He says, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and told me what the Lord is doing in your life, Gaius, the wonderful witness that you are. What is being told that you're walking in the truth. And John says, I greatly rejoice when I heard those things. Now, again, that's something that he repeated in, as we saw in 2 John. He had said the same thing to the elect lady and her children. He said, it brings me great joy to hear that some of, of your children are walking in truth. And here he says to Gaius, it brings me great joy to know that you're walking in truth. And as a parent, any of us that, that see our children walking in truth and walking in obedience and walking close to the Lord, it's going to bring us great joy in our lives as we discussed last week. And so that's what he says. I have no greater joy that my children, he's talking about Gaius here. He's talking about the spiritual you know, children that John, he was the spiritual father to them. And you recall that in that first epistle, he would write little children. It was a term of endearment and, and, and a term of affection that he had for the Christians. And it brought him joy to know that they were walking in truth. And so he's stressing this once again, and he's full of joy to hear Gaius is walking in truth. And he also is full of joy to see, as we're going to read on, that he's walking in love and demonstrating that love to others. Now, it has been suggested that Gaius is a convert of John the Apostle or a disciple of John the, the Apostle. So he is one of his children and he's doing well and John is a spiritual father to him. And one of the greatest experiences that I will have as a pastor is to have people come to the Lord and then they begin to grow in the Lord and they're walking in truth and, and they're growing in the love of Jesus Christ. They're growing in maturity. That's a great joy for me to see others doing that, people that I have opportunity to minister to. And I know that it brings you great joy as well as perhaps maybe you're teaching Sunday school. So to see the children that are just growing in the Lord and growing in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe as you do the youth group or maybe you're teaching a home fellowship or maybe you're discipling guys at work or having a Bible study on the weekends and you're just going through the scriptures. Those that you minister to, to see them walking in truth and growing the Lord and to demonstrate love for others, it brings us great joy, doesn't it? But not only would John have great joy himself in hearing this report about Gaius walking in truth but upon receiving this letter Gaius would be greatly encouraged and edified and blessed by having John write this about himself and it wasn't an arrogant kind of thing it wasn't a prideful kind of thing but you know how that is when somebody a brother and sister comes up to you and says you know what I'm watching you you're really growing in the Lord you're really doing well and you're growing in God's word, and you're walking in truth. Isn't that an encouragement to you? I know it is for me. And so I pray that we would encourage one another in that way, is that we would encourage each other to continue to walk in the ways of the Lord, to keep doing the things that God has called us to do, keep growing in the knowledge and love and grace of Jesus Christ. I know that, just a little personal note, that I, there is a sister here in the fellowship, 
And she went out to Costa Mesa last year. And many of you have bought from the bookstore the Word of, of, of Truth um, Bible, you know, Pastor Chuck, um, the Word for Today Bibles out there in the bookstore that Pastor Chuck in his commentary in that Bible. And many of you have one, and you're blessed by going through that Bible and the comments that Pastor Chuck makes. Well, she actually got me a, a Word for Today Bible. Uh, out there at Costa Mesa and uh, got my name put on it and went in and saw Pastor Chuck and was telling Pastor Chuck about the ministry here and about all of you and how much she has just received the love of Jesus Christ here when she moved here and Pastor Chuck was so blessed and so he wrote a little note in the Bible to me and, and just commended us and you for the wonderful things that is being done and then he wrote Third John verse 4. And that was a great encouragement to me to see God continuing to, to you know, to just it, to use Pastor Chuck, who's been my spiritual father for so many years. I've looked to him and, and the example of a godly man, a man who is faithful in teaching God's word and serving the Lord. And so, you know, we are to encourage one another. And that's what I'm assuming that Gaius, he felt that joy, too, of having this wonderful man of faith this elderly man, John the Apostle, say these things concerning himself. And so Gaius, commended for walking in the truth, but also demonstrating love. In verse 5, beloved. <laughs> Notice this is the third time in five verses that Gaius is called beloved. Do you kind of get the feeling how blessed John is by this man? How much he meant to John, the great appreciation he has for the ministry of Gaius. And again, may we do that for one another. Just show and, and, and express our appreciation to the brothers and sisters that are walking closely to the Lord and serving the Lord. And he goes on in verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Verse 7, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So John begins as to commend Gaius for now his hospitality. He was faithful to extend that hospitality to the brethren, perhaps using that term brethren specifically for those who are traveling ministers and missionaries that he would be hospitable to and open up his house for and and here, it didn't just stop there for those, but also extended it to strangers. Now, it's probably maybe other Christians that he had never met before. He opened up, you know, his home to them whenever they were in that vicinity as well because people were on the move, especially Christians, during this time of persecution. And so John says that it brings me great joy that not only are you walking in truth, but that God's love is being worked out in you and then through you to others. Are we, are we starting to get it? I mean, you may be sitting there going, okay, I understand these things of truth and love and demonstrating love to others. And I pray that we're getting it and being reminded of it and we're going to continue to be as, as we go through God's Word, as we look at how God really desires for the Christians to treat one another, what this thing called the church is all about. But it's about that we're about the things of God, the Word of God, worshiping Him, fellowshipping with one another, loving one another. Those are the important things. Because in the church today, so many other things can be stressed and emphasized and programs and how grand and how big and, and all of this. And I'm not saying all of that is bad. But may we keep the main thing the main things. 
And that is what is being emphasized to us, walking in truth and walking in obedience and expressing love. The love of God is in us to others. So Gaius had a reputation among the Christians of his faithfulness, act of hospitality. Hey, you missionaries, you pastors that are traveling about, when you're in the vicinity of where Gaius was, you have a place to stay and rest because of his love and generosity. But notice verse 6 here. Also amongst the Christians, they have borne witness of your love before the church. So the word was out also that he loved the Lord, he loved the body of Christ. A couple things worth noting here. Love is the motivation that's going to keep you faithful to the Lord. Faithful to serving the Lord, faithful to walking in the ways of the Lord. Your love for him, and as you have a love for him, Lord, I want to walk in your ways. I'm going to walk in truth. Lord, and I'm going to extend that love to others as that love is overfilling my heart and then I can, it overflows from my heart to other people. So love is going to be the motivation that's going to keep you going in the ways of the Lord. But here, as I ponder this, what John is saying here and writing in this letter, here Gaius was known. The Christians are coming back and they're telling me, Gaius, that you're known for your love for the brethren. I think, what do I want to be known for? What do I want to be known for among the Christians? What do you want to be known for amongst the Christians? The Apostle Paul, when he was closing out his letter in 1 Corinthians to that church, he gave them one last exhortation. He said to them, you you watch, and you stand fast in the faith. You guys be brave, and you be strong. And then he said, then all that you do be done with love. And as I read that, that great exhortation, I think I want to be watchful. I I want to stand fast in the faith. I I don't want to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine, but I want to stand firmly in the truth and the ways of God. I want to be brave. I want to be strong, just as Joshua was told to be strong and of good courage. Yeah, that's what I want to be known for. But then Paul said, but all that you do be done with love. And as I look at the exhortations that John gives and what Paul gives, one of the things that if the Lord was going to take me home today, that the people that are left behind, that they would say that, you know what, my wife, that my husband, he loved the Lord and he loved me and it showed in his life. That's what I want to be known for. More than anything, more than a pastor or, you know, he had a church or he had a radio program and he did this and he accomplished that. That's all fine. But more than anything, that he loved God and he loved me. And my kids would be able to say, my dad, my dad, he loved the Lord and he loved us and it really showed. For you as a congregation, to be able to say, our pastor, that he loved the Lord and he loved his sheep. He loved the people he ministered to. And I pray that all of us, that that would be a priority in our hearts and in our lives. That's what we want to be known for. You see, again, to so many other emphasis or place in the church and how to get your name and promote yourself and all of this. And that, you know, I want to be known for my love for the Lord and my love for others. The Lord's still working on me in those areas. But those are the things that are being emphasized here in God's word. John, this early man, a great man of faith, one of the the last apostles that's alive, he kept it real simple, didn't he? But also very practical. Walk in God's truth, walk in his love, which means you're going to love others. 
and it gave him great joy when he saw that with the Christians. And so after he commends Gaius on his hospitality and love, John encourages them. Hey, this is what you're doing. It's important in the kingdom. Verse 6 again, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. So they're going forth to, for the sake of the kingdom, these missionaries, these pastors that are traveling about, and, and you're doing well in supporting them, helping them, Gaius. Continue to do that. As you're sending them on their way, I'm encouraging you in the fact that you're doing the Lord's work as well. Paul would come in the Philippian church, didn't he, at the end of that letter, for their support of him. And he says that the fruit that happens because of my ministry is going to abound to your account because of your support. And so it's important for us to understand that you have a role as well that's very important as you're supporting somebody in ministry, as you're supporting those workers and, and those who go forward on the front lines of, of the kingdom of God. You share in the rewards as well. You're doing well. I can't help but think about 1 Samuel chapter 30. David he had 600 men with him, and he's going to go to war against the Amalekites. 200 of them stayed behind to watch the supplies. 400 of them went to battle. And David and his 400 men had victory over the Amalekites. The 400 guys come back, and they say to the 200 guys that were watching the supplies, they said, you guys get Zippo. You get none of the spoils. You get nothing. We did the battle, and David rebuked them. And David said, my brethren, you shall not do so what the Lord has given us. He's the one that has preserved us, delivered into our hands the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this manner? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays with the supplies. They shall share alike. And so those on the front lines of ministry doing battle, the Lord's work, you who support them, finances by prayer certainly, that that work is important and God will bless you. And there will be rewards in eternity for you as well. And that's an important part that takes place in the body of Christ. And so he's commending Gaius for that. You keep doing what you're doing. It's important. You're doing well. And it brings me joy to hear the reports concerning you. Now, contrast that quickly with what we read with the second individual that John is going to address in Diotrephus, which he begins in verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Gaius, I commend you. Diotrephus, you're an example of what not to do, of ungodly conduct in ministry. You are unloving. I wrote to the church, John says. We don't know again what specific church this was, but it was a church that Gaius perhaps belonged to. And apparently Diotrephus was the pastor of this church. Now sometimes Christians think, oh, if we can just be like the early church, the first century church, and the power of the Holy Spirit and healings and all of this that took place. The Holy Spirit hasn't left. The Holy Spirit's still here. And the Holy Spirit still desires to work miracles and, and work in us and dwells in us and, and is working wonderful things in the church today. But the early church also had its problems. Remember that. And as you read the epistles, you see that very clearly, don't you? That there were serious problems in the early church. Read the epistles, the corrective letters, and you see here Diotrephus is being publicly rebuked by John as he writes this letter. Just as there's 
problems in the church today. As long as you have people, there's going to be problems. There's going to be shortcomings. But John here, inspired by the Spirit of God and in his apostolic authority, rebukes this guy, Diotrephus, as a bad example. Now, you might be thinking, that's kind of hard. Is that within the boundaries of love? Well, it is. Because he is acting according to the command of Scripture, John is. Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Reject a device of man after the first and second admonition. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Name Alexander the coppersmith is doing much harm. But with that said, we need to be careful that a public rebuke is made. And it's made only when it's necessary. There's other, other biblical guidelines that are given to us that we need to keep in mind when that happens. And here Diotrephus was doing enough harm to the church that John felt like he's such an ungodly example and an unloving example of conduct and what he is doing that he needs to be rebuked. And so that's what he's doing here. So what was the bad example that Diotrephus was setting? Well, let's look at this quickly, very carefully. Verse 9, he loves to have the preeminence among them. It literally means that Diotrephus loved to be first. He was fond of being first or to hold the top spot. So he's full of selfish ambition and pride, and he will not take the position of a servant and of humility. There are those that can come into the church, you know, or a church, and they will get power hungry or they get title hungry. Well, I'm an elder, or I'm the pastor, or I'm a board member. And, and they start pushing others around. And they start saying, you better listen to me. And they want to have preeminence over others. They're power hungry. They will hijack the ministry. And they will hijack the church. And what happens is, over time, it becomes the church an extension of them and their purposes, and they want to control everyone and everything. It's not a work of the Spirit any longer. A diatrophist will kill a church. And John says, you know what, Gaius, you keep doing what you are doing. You're doing well. You're serving your loving. What a joy it is to me. I'll take care of diatrophists when I come. Jesus is the one to have preeminence in the church. He's the one to have preeminence with people. And as the pastor here, yes, I am to oversee, but not to be overburdened, you. I am to feed the sheep. I am not to beat the sheep. I am to shepherd the people, not to strangle the people with what I think God wants and being preeminent over others. It means that as I am the pastor, that I am not to be preeminent, but be the servant of all to you. And sometimes people can get motivated to go into ministry for different reasons. They, they, they like the power. They like to be up front. They like the prestige. And it ought not to be. All of us are called to be servants. And I have seen ministries fall and split over those who get power hungry. It happens all too often. But I have never, I have never seen a church split over an argument of who gets to be the servant of all. I've never seen it. And you are really blessed here at Calvary Chapel, the leadership that is here, because the leadership that's here is humble. And there isn't one leader or anybody who does ministry that I can think of that they wouldn't do something if I called them, you know, at a moment's notice that, hey, you know what? One of the kids made a mess in the bathroom. Can you clean it up? 
That kind of stuff will weed out the atrophices. Or can you pick up trash in the parking lot? You know, there's a mess, somebody threw out a bunch of stuff. There isn't one leader, one elder that wouldn't be willing to do that. And others that lead in ministry and in our example, we are so blessed here to have those who have a servant heart. And I won't put anybody in leadership that doesn't have that kind of heart. We're to be servants. We're to bless the others and serve others is what the mandate of Scripture is. Jesus said, you want to be great? It isn't lording over others. That's Gentile stuff. What you're to do is be the servant of all. Second of all, we see verse 9 again. He wouldn't receive John and the other brethren. He doesn't receive us. And not receiving John, it meant that he was a man that did not respect authority. It was a rebellious attitude. It was, you know what? I'm not going to receive him. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to be teachable. I'm not going to be flexible at all. Is I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and everybody better stay out of my way. This is what I want. This is the direction I'm going. And sometimes that can happen. Sometimes people will not respect authority. It brings a problem to them in work or even in the church. And the thing is, even as the pastor, I want to be flexible. I want it to be teachable. I listen to my elders. I want to listen to my board. I don't want to be all dictatorial and, and this is the way we're going to go. When they're telling me something, I better have my ears open to it. I want to be able to listen to the people and get a feeling to where they're at. And I don't want to have that attitude of, I'm always right and I'm going to control everything and I'm not going to receive any kind of you know, instructions and you're not going to teach me or show me anything. And so here he had an attitude of a dictator, no love or concern for the brethren. Thirdly, pratting against with malicious words, verse 10. That word means talking nonsense. It was a malicious gossip and slander. It is empty accusations that have no merit. The Greek word used here, prating, it means literally to be a babbler. To come against with the words that you use. Malicious, of course, malicious means hurtful and, and vicious and harmful and corrupt and lies. And maybe you've been on that end in your life. Maybe at the workplace or maybe even in your own family. Or somebody is using vicious words and malicious words against you and corrupt words and things that aren't true. And I think a lot of us have experienced that one time in our lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that you may impart grace to the hearers. It doesn't mean that we cannot bring correction or rebuke to somebody, but it's always at an attitude of love and concern for that other individual. It isn't malicious gossip and slander, and I'm going to take this person down. And any of you that are a leader in the community or at work or even in the church, you're very vulnerable to this. I know that. And I pray that this kind of thing would never be said of us, of any of us, that we're ones that are prating against others with malicious words. That if you have something to settle with somebody or go to them personally as mandated in Scripture, that correction and rebuke can come, but we're not going to be ones that are tearing others down and corrupt speech and gossip and slander. That has no place in the body of Christ. And the reason is because it does a lot of damage. It does a lot of damage and it causes a lot of hurt. And it, it just, it's bad news, folks. God forbid that we would be a part of that. And that's what Diotrephus was doing. Number four, he's dictatorial. He forbids those to receive the brethren, verse 10. 
So there were those who were doing what Scripture mandated. Be hospitable to the, those traveling missionaries and pastors that are coming through. They were doing what Scripture was saying, and here he's being all dictatory, trying to mac- micromanage their lives, saying you can't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. It was none of Diotrephus' business. It was their money to spend and buy food if they wanted to feed somebody. It was their homes to be able to open up to somebody if they wanted to. And so here he was, it was kind of like a shepherding kind of doctrine. The shepherding doctrine was, you know, kind of at its peak about 30 years ago. Perhaps some of you know somebody that was involved in the shepherding doctrine that was kind of floating through the church, and you had an elder or certain elders that you had to ask them for everything. Can, you know, I take this job? Can I move here? Can I buy this car? Can I buy this house? Those things are none of my business, what you do. I'll guide you through the Word of God. And as Paul would write to the Corinthian church, we're here to be helpers of your joy, not to rule over you. So again... It's overseeing, it is serving, it is shepherding, not overruling, overburdening, all these being dictatorial, trying to micromanage other people's lives. Want the Lord to direct you. Want the Lord to guide you and to give you direction in your life through his word. And then fifthly, putting people out of the church. Had a harsh treatment of others, verse 10, without, of course, any biblical grounds because of being dictatorial and controlling, and it's my way or you're out, and then you're going to be a part of the malicious words that I'm speaking. It was a harsh treatment of others. Why anybody would want to stay in a church like that, I don't know. But sometimes people do. Paul, when he was writing his second letter to the Corinthian church, he dealt much about that, didn't he? There was those who came in behind Paul, and they called themselves super apostles and prophets, and they spoke very eloquently. And, and Paul says to them, you put up with all of what they're doing. They're false teachers and prophets. And in those false teachers and prophets, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, were even punching people in the face. And they were putting up with it. So that was pretty harsh treatment. And so here again we see an example of that. So these ungodly examples of Diotrephus that John writes about, and in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. So two examples in this short letter. Gaius, who was walking in truth and, and loving and hospitable. Diotrephus, who was a terrible example. So your conduct is going to reflect your relationship with God. And evil conduct and action will reflect a dark heart and spiritual blindness. So was John saying specifically that Diotrephus wasn't saved? Doesn't say specifically, but he gives a warning. And he says that, you know what, your works are going to reveal your relationship and where you're at with God. And he who does evil has not seen God. And then the third individual that he mentions here, Demetrius, verse 12, has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. So Demetrius was one that John commends here, doing well in the Lord. He's probably the one that's bringing this letter, carrying this letter to Gaius. And what he's saying to Gaius is, hey, receive him. You know, open your home to him. He's, he's doing well. And, um, and then we see that he gives his final farewell greeting to this congregation or to Gaius here. Verse 13, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. 
Greet the friends by name. And so, Father, we thank you for the time that we've had in these epistles of John. These themes that have been emphasized to us over and over again, I pray that we would keep to remembrance. Father, I do pray this morning. We have so much to be thankful for as as believers in Christ.